Welcome to the Logger and Listings Podcast with JFK Properties. This podcast gives real estate investors, experts, and entrepreneurs an opportunity to share their stories over a casual beverage. Hosted by the founding members of JFK Properties, an investment company that specializes in commercial and residential real estate. So sit back, grab a drink, and listen to this real, insightful, and sometimes funny podcast on real estate investing and entrepreneurship. Welcome to another episode of the Logger and Listings podcast with JFK Properties. This week, we have a special guest, one that I know all of our listeners will learn a lot from and will probably aspire to be. His name is George Wang, and George is an experienced real estate investor, an investor-focused realtor serving Belleville, Ontario, and surrounding areas. Since 2019, he has strategically invested in the Belleville market with a focus on smaller multifamily properties, the burst strategy, and duplex conversions. Within three years of investing, he went on to acquire six properties with 15 units that generated enough cash flow to exceed his income and allowed him to retire from a six-figure job as a pharmacist by the age of 31, earning him the nickname of Cash Flow George. Today, he helps his clients invest in real estate by using the same proven investment strategies that he used to help them reach their real estate goals. George, welcome to Logger and Listings. Thank you for inviting me. Now, that is an amazing journey. So you said in, in the intro that you were a pharmacist. What got you into that career? So what was young George like? It's interesting. I never really aspired to be a pharmacist ever. I just knew that in high school that I tend to excel in the sciences and math, and that's just where I gravitated towards. And um, to me, it was either going to something healthcare, science related or engineering, and I decided to pursue the sciences more. And um, while I, you know, the, the content was really interesting, I quickly realized that you can't really make any money being a scientist <laughs> unless you get your PhD. And even if you do, you're still struggling. You don't make very much money unless you make your way up being a professor, which is very rare. So I decided to get a, you know, do something with that healthcare background. And uh, my grades weren't the, the highest, but they're okay. And so some of the higher end stuff like medical school, dental school, they were uh, beyond my reach. And uh, pharmacy school, they you know, seemed like it paid well. And uh, my grades are good enough. So that's where I went. So what year was it when you uh, started as a pharmacist kind of full time? I graduated in 2015, took a few months off after I graduated and I started working in October. Okay. So tell me about your career as a pharmacist and kind of what led um, you to have an interest or desire to start real estate investing. So while the content of being a pharmacist, like the job itself, what you do, I actually really like it. It's really intriguing. It's a very important role of ensuring that the, the medications that are prescribed are safe, effective, and uh, you know not going to kill you, which uh, believe it or not, if we did intervene, someone, at least one person probably die on a daily basis based on incorrect or wrong dosing or wrong medication. Mm -hmm. But what I discovered that I really did not like about it was how customer service oriented it is, especially in what we call community pharmacy. That's your typical shoppers, drug mart, Drexel, blah, 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 where anybody can walk up to you and demand your attention from you know over the counter. Mm -hmm. uh, how I describe it is uh, imagine, and, and also with those, those ones being more uh, corporate owned, they are very ruthless when it comes to their staffing. So what you get is typically understaffed skeleton crews struggling to keep up with the the workload. So it's the best way I, I explain to people is, um, you know, most people I would say have had a job in the fast food industry at some point in their life. Imagine you worked at McDonald's. Okay. You're the one there's it's rush hour. There's a lineup. 
at the front. You're the one taking the orders in. And it's not a simple menu. It's a big menu with a lot of complicated options. You got to make sure you take their orders in correctly. Mm-hmm. At the same time, there's nobody in the back. <laughs> so you got to go the make food. the burgers in the back <laughs> because you're understaffed. Okay. At some point, you're like, well, when do you stop taking orders? And when do you start going to the back? Right. And these guys, they're they're getting upset. It's like, yo, it's been 15 minutes. Where's my burger, man? Right. And the the worst part is if somebody said no pickles, extra ketchup, and you forgot any of that or you get any of that wrong, you don't just have an upset customer. But you might end up killing them. That's community pharmacy for you. So it's as much you know abuse as a fast food restaurant with the additional stress factor of if you do it wrong, you'll kill somebody. So dealing with like uh, tenants that aren't paying or trashing is like nothing for you compared to what you went through as a pharmacist. No, no, because ultimately you're in control. Whereas when you're working in that kind of situation, you know, you know, I I understand their frustration. You know, they've been, you know, they, they just came out of a walk-in clinic. They got a script for simple prescription for some antibiotics. Realistically, that prescription only take five minutes. But the problem is the one before them and six, the six of the guys in front of them and each one of them, maybe, maybe they're more complicated ones and they require more attention and we just can't get to you. Right. But ultimately in this scenario, I'm in control, right? I, I get to decide what I want to do. If I want to take on this project or not, if I want to hire these contractors or not, if I want to do it myself, right? In the other scenario, I it was all out of my control. It was the manager's head head office who decides how much staffing we get and how much help we get. So why real estate? It's interesting. You know, I graduated in 2015. I, I started working like from day one. I was like, you know, this isn't it. <laughs> this is not where I want to be. But I kind of accepted the rat race. It's like, you know, this is what everybody does. Nobody likes their jobs, right? You know, it's not so bad. I make I make six figures. I'm air conditioned. There's heat. There's air conditioning. It's not that bad, right? I, I shouldn't complain that much, right? But and this whole time I was saving up, you know, by we're getting ready to buy my first, my primary residence. And uh, in 2018, I was able to do that. And upon all leading up to that was me saving my money and getting ready for that. Right. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I got there, I closed on the house. I moved in and I was like, now what? <laughs> now I work for the re- 40 years. This is my life. Right. At least at that point, I had a goal to strive towards. Right. As soon as I moved into that house, I lost all hope. I, I got actually got quite depressed. I was like this. I can't do this for another 40 years. This is not, I can't do this. And luckily, uh, my girlfriend and I, we wanted to take our minds off things. We went to take a walk in chapters and uh, I saw the very interesting book named (laughs) Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Uh Uh-oh, the big purple book. (laughs) Yeah, the purple book, right. I have a couple copies on my shelf right there. And um, man, I was like, you know, we don't, you know, I'm Belleville, small town. We don't see too many Asian people here. The sea is some big smiling Asian dude's face on a cover. It's like, I, I got, well, what is this? Rich dad, poor dad. <laughs> and uh, I picked it up. Sounded interesting. You know, it was cheap. It was like 12 bucks. Bought it. Read the whole book in like two days. Wow. Yeah. And then it's like, what do you mean I can live off the cash flow from these assets? Like I can, instead of working for money, I just buy the assets that just make the money for me. And it makes so much sense. It's like you plant the money tree now. And then you just live off the money tree forever. Yeah. So, okay. So let's take a look at the book. So obviously it doesn't teach you how to invest. It's really about the mindset. And as you said, it's like, I need to invest in assets that can pay me. So I don't have to spend 40 plus hours a week working for somebody else, making that business, you know, rich and taking all of my time away for the next 40 years. So when it came to actually investing, what was your first actual investment deal? Because you already had your primary residence. So what was your first investment deal and how did you find that? 
So the book did give you some hints about uh, how to invest in real estate. The key was it must provide cash flow. And uh, I started looking for resources online. I found bigger pockets to start off with. And mm -hmm. while the majority of the content is very American centric, I found their initial workshops on how to calculate cash flow to be actually one of the best I've seen. Mm -hmm. Very simple. And, um, you know, that's why I learned to do it from scratch. I could do it on a napkin now in 30 seconds if I needed to. It was a simple one, right? And from there, I just started looking for properties where, you know, you look how much income's coming in, you look at how much expenses coming out, that number you have left at the end, that number I wanted as big as possible. And once that number between all my properties added together is equal to or exceeds how much I get paid from work, then I'm free. Okay. So yeah, that's, I just started looking for properties. I knew that very quickly I learned that single family numbers don't work. Yep. Even or, or very rarely. <laughs> yeah. Very rarely do if they do. And I found that at that time, majority of multifamily, like two to four units. Like even turnkey status, like with the tenant inside paying below market rents back then, it was still cash flow slightly. Mm -hmm. So I started doing that. And my first purchase was actually, um, I was obsessed with cash flow, right? So I got to find, how do I get the max cash flow? So my first purchase was actually a big 4,000 square foot Victorian that was being operated as a rooming house mm -hmm. illegally. But the the seller said, oh yeah, you know, we're we're almost done the the process of legalizing this rooming house. So I put an offer on it saying, yeah, sure, I'll buy it. But uh, you do whatever it takes to make it legal okay. by this date. And uh, they thought it was going to be easy. It was not easy. <laughs> it cost them a lot more money than they expected. But that was what the agreement was. And so if they wanted to sell it to me. They had to do it. So I picked that one up. It was a pretty damn good deal. Like I bought it. I did the renos myself. I did some, you know, some basic painting, patching, nothing crazy, right? I furnished it myself. A lot of Facebook marketplace furniture. Mm -hmm. for the common areas and then i you know went ikea wayfair for the bedrooms it was since it was a student rental yep and uh everything added together that property was making over five thousand dollars a month and that property was in belleville in belleville and my mortgage was like two grand very nice that's some very very good cash flow so after your first one what did you say to yourself like did you say obviously you didn't stop there but did you believe okay this is i'm now on the right path when the money started coming in it was uh quite a big high but then trying to manage that yourself is very difficult and i realized that there's a reason why it comes with so much income and the reason why nobody else not too many other people are doing it is because of the other aspects of it that i wasn't considering management being one of them also i learned that student rental income most lenders don't like if you're doing them renting by room, mm -hmm. if you're trying to get a next mortgage, the lenders won't consider that income as qualifying for your next one. So I have a big two grand a month mortgage payment, but then I got no income from their perspective to qualify for the next one. So I'm like, oh no, <laughs> <laughs> I actually got stuck for a little bit because of it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, while it's uh, the numbers look great, it, if I wanted the scale, that is not the way to go. Yeah. So then how did you transition? Did you do another rooming house in the future or did you say, okay, not doing rooming houses, I'm going to change up. And is that when you got into burrs and other multifamilies? I started off with buy. So after that, I realized, okay, well, I need to buy what the bank likes, which is long-term rentals. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I knew the numbers work better with multifamily. So I started buying multifamily, like two to four units, but I knew the margins are very slim when there are existing tenants. So I started just going out of my way, just looking for vacant ones. And uh, back then, I don't know what it is, but like, I guess people didn't catch on to the idea that vacants properties were worth more than occupied ones they thought occupied ones were better because you know the money's already there but i knew how much rent was at the time and that was when bevel was just absolutely booming in rental activity you put an ad out there you have 100 messages in an hour so, what so was it i was bevel that was attracting people as tenants 
I'm not 100% sure, to be honest. It was always rapidly growing. We have a lot of industry here that we don't have enough workers for. So we do have the resort to importing workers from other cities. Mm-hmm. We have a big manufacturing, uh, Procter & Gamble, Magna's here, Kellogg's is here, Pepsi, Quaker's here, military base. We have a lot of people moving here. Like They, they send you every, every four or five years, they make you go to a different place, right? Yeah. yeah. And then we have the hospitality, retirement, healthcare. We're just constantly growing and the services that need to keep up with the population growth continues. Okay. So let's look at your second deal. So what was your second deal like? My second deal was a duplex that I bought vacant. It was used as a student rental. Like it was a duplex, legal duplex, but it was used as a student rental. And uh, I just said, hey, look, can you give me vacant possession? Because this mm-hmm. was mid, I think my second deal was just right in the beginning of COVID, right yeah. when people were really scared. And these were, they were international students. So the sellers, I think they realized that these students weren't sticking around because uh, with COVID, everything was going online. There's no reason to be in Canada. Yeah. And there's uh, such an unknown of how long it's going to last. And yeah. Yeah. So I picked up that duplex for the mid 200s and we did some minor renovations on it. We ourselves again, flooring, kitchen, paint on one of the units. And we immediately rented out both units for 1600 each. Okay, so you're pulling 1%. in, yeah. So you're you're pulling in thirty two hundred on a property you bought in the mid twos, and you know, for those of you that uh, don't know what the one percent rule, but one percent of the purchase price being your monthly income. So George far exceeded that on that deal, which is awesome. Yeah. So now that you have two properties under your belt, did you and your girlfriend start kind of looking ahead? Maybe like, okay, maybe in the next three, four, five years, we can get to this level. Or maybe in the next two years we can get to this level. Like, did you have that thought process? I didn't really set myself an exact timeline. I just, I, I just knew that eventually I was going to be burned out. This job, I would have to leave, whether I have the financial means to or not. It wasn't really a choice, to be mm-hmm. honest. I just couldn't take it anymore. It was just like a ticking time bomb, and I just needed to get it done as fast as possible. Which is why, like that property, the, while the numbers sound good. It's an old property. It's got its issues. Like um, right after we closed, there was an issue with the water meter. Mm-hmm. So the city had to come by and take a look at it. And um, apparently it was the first ever meter installed in the entire city. Really? It was zero, 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 0001. <laughs> the city guy took a selfie with it. Just to give you context about how old that house is, right? Like, sure. Even if you factor in the increased maintenance costs, of the fact that it's older. I'm not complaining. My mortgage on that is, uh, I didn't think too hard ahead. Like I, for that one, I got a fixed mortgage because I should have got a variable because I would have been able to refinance that a lot easier. I'm not complaining now, but back then, um, yeah. I was actually kind of hitting myself for it. But like my mortgage now, it's like, it's 874, I think. And now I'm making over 35 now after a few turnovers. Wow. That is awesome. That is awesome. So like as you're going along and you're starting to acquire more properties, generate more cash flow, you're probably looking at your paycheck, looking at what the properties are bringing in and saying, okay, we're getting there, getting there. Every property is getting us closer and closer. So when you finally hit that moment where you were making as much from your real estate as you were as a pharmacist, what was that feeling like? And what did you do? Did you like call one day and say, I'm out, I'm done, resigned? Or was there kind of a process or a time lag between that? Yeah, I didn't say anything at the time because actually story goes i got a couple of those vacant properties and then the market started smarting up and they realized vacant properties are a big deal so they started pricing them a lot higher (laughs) that's when i started doing duplex conversions because that's the other way to get a vacant duplex is to make it (laughs) yeah 
And um, so towards the end, I actually eventually sold that student rental for the same reason. Mine were all international students as well. So they weren't coming back. I tried the locals, didn't work out. So I sold it and it turned the capital towards these duplex conversions, which were a lot more capital intensive with renovations. Mm-hmm. And I started closing a lot of them with private and then refinancing them with uh, long-term mortgages once the income is there, because otherwise I couldn't close them while they were vacant yeah. with no income proving. And uh, so I knew the numbers were there, but I had to wait for the refinance. Yes. And uh, one of the earlier vacant duplexes I bought because the numbers were so tight, I had to close on them with a B lender. Mm-hmm. And that was just a one-year term. So I just figured I'll just line everything up to refinance at that time. And that was March of this year. So I was technically financially free from a cash flow standpoint, like October last year. Mm-hmm. But uh, I wasn't really free until I got those refinances because they need my job proof of yeah, income. Right? Yeah, at that point in time. So what was that feeling like when you finally, you said it was March of this year, 2022, that you left. Yeah. What was that feeling like? It was amazing. It was a lot of money being put in my bank account at once. I'll just say that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was great. And honestly, it was, um, I actually took the month of March off from work for like mental health reasons because I just couldn't take it anymore. Mm-hmm. I actually took all of October off for the same reason and hoping that I was going to get feel better. And in fact, that I actually wanted to stay a little longer just because I knew I didn't haven't hit my limit of how many mortgages I could qualify for yet. Mm-hmm. I actually wanted to just, you know, acquire one more. Max that out. Yeah. Max it out. But when I had to take a second month, like full month off in like a six month period, I knew this is not sustainable. It's not good for my mental health. I was just like, after work, I'd be laying in bed for like six hours straight, not doing anything. And I took the month of March off on March 1st. I got the deposit. I thought about it for like five days straight. And then I put in my letter. I'm like, you know what? I'm not coming back after my, my month off. So what was their response when you asked? Uh, the, oh, they, they had a feeling. I mean, they're like, imagine this guy asking for a job letter every month. <laughs> What's he doing? <laughs> We just gave him one. <laughs> yeah, everyone's like, "What are you? What are you doing? You're, you're you're buying a boat, or you're buying? No, no, I'm just a couple of houses. No big deal. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. I'll be I'll be at work tomorrow <laughs> until you're not. <laughs> like one of the things that um that you said in that, about your story that actually really resonates with me that I think a lot of people take for granted. We always hear this: you need a strong why. You need a strong why, and I think we automatically assume that why has to be something you want, like you want to give to your family, you want to create generational wealth, you want time freedom, but there's nothing wrong with having something as powerful as something you really hate (laughs) in life to push you to say, as much as I may not like doing this, the end result is going to get me away from the thing or things I really hate. And for you, that was your job. So I think for people listening, and I know I went through this personally as well, you know, recently trying to you know, okay, I don't have a strong enough why. Like, love my kids, love my family, love all this good stuff. But, you know, I needed, I think, something that I really hated to kind of give me that extra push on those days, especially the tougher days, you know, because real estate, as good as it is, it's not, not every day is good. You know, when you're going through a rooming house and international students are leaving, can't come back, that's a challenge to go through. But, you know, you're able to go through it because you look at what your nine to five is as a pharmacist and say, going through that is way easier than me going to job and dealing with angry people when all I'm trying to do is help them. So I just wanted to point that out for everybody. Yeah, there was this is a very vivid moment. I recall in August 2020 on that vacant duplex that I closed on where I said I was doing the floor. So actually, it was a complete coincidence. I just 
I don't know why I thought it'd be easier to find a contractor than it actually was. So, but no one was available in that time frame. So I was like, you know, screw it. I'll just do it myself. How, how hard could it be? Mm-hmm. And I remember contractors at the time quoting around $2 a square feet for flooring for labor mm-hmm. only. And I'm, I'm laying there in my hood, in my like sweatpants and just like cat listening to music. I'm, I'm pretty happy. Like I'm pretty content at this time. I'm sitting there. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm doing more than 25 square feet per hour. <laughs> <laughs> At that point, it's like, you know what? If I quit my job and I just laid flooring for a living, I would be pretty content. There you go. That's when when you know you hate your job. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That made it a lot easier to make that decision in March. And I think that's around the time where we met. It was probably in that uh, either just, it was either just before you quit or maybe just after, but it was in that time frame. So let's fast forward. So you're now living strictly as a real estate investor, but you've also done something else this year you got your realtors license so tell me more about that like what made you decide to do that and what are you uh doing now other than you know helping investors as i mentioned earlier so interesting enough in the beginning i i actually started the process of picking my realtor's license before i left my job purely just to help myself as an investor to get hands-on data because i was so sick of always asking for comps and asking for this asking for that but after I left my job, I realized there's a lot of people reaching out to me about investing advice and then specifically more about the Belleville market. And there were people who were actively doing stuff in Belleville and they just really needed a hand and guidance and you know referrals for this, for that. And maybe there were some people who were actively negotiating and seeing the properties. And I would I was retired effectively. So I had no problem. I loved helping people. I, we would just go on calls for like an hour or two, mm-hmm. uh, twice a week, oftentimes. And then I'm not making any money. I don't really care. I was enjoying it, right? I had all, all the time in the world. But it got to a point where it's like, okay, they, they would call me after they saw the property. They're telling me about it. And I would say, well, did you check this? I'm like, oh, no, we didn't check that. Or they'll tell me about the offer. I'm like, well, did you put this in there so you can you know, start the permits before you close? They're like, oh, my realtor didn't do that. And that point is like, you know what? I'm just going to do it for you. <laughs> That's when I said, you know what? I'll just, at this point, I have a duty and responsibility to help my friends because I'm the most qualified to do this. To pass them off to anyone else is irresponsible of me. That's awesome. You know, that is awesome. So you, when did you become an active realtor? It was not too long ago. I got my license just this summer. Yeah. It took way longer than expected because one of the process involved is like, you actually have to declare all your real estate holdings. And then that was really, really complicated. And they kept asking questions and they were in holding companies. And the guy who was doing my file, he's like, what is your role? I'm like, I don't have a role. It's a holding company. I don't do anything. <laughs> and he couldn't take that as an answer. <laughs> anyway, um, so I, I got my license, I think, August. And um, by the end of this year, I'll have closed just over $3 million in transactions. I've been quite busy. There's been a lot of investors who are very active in this area and looking for deals. Yeah, and that is awesome that you're able to do that. You know, you started the journey as a realtor again, as you said, to help yourself so you can get access to information instead of always seeking realtors for it. But then you parlayed that into helping other investors close deals, which is amazing. So, what else are you up to now? So you're obviously still investing, active realtor, helping people close on their investment deals. What else are you doing these days? These days, I have a fourplex that I'm currently renovating. It's a full gut that I've been working on. It's probably the most challenging project I've ever done. Every project, I like to push myself a little bit more than the last one so I can learn something from it. Mm -hmm. That's the one I've been been doing this for like over half a year now. And honestly, I hate it, but I'm learning so much. (laughs) And it just makes me even more qualified to help other people with the knowledge I'm picking up doing this. That's mostly keeping me busy. I'm focusing a lot on my realtor 
business. I'm focusing on keeping myself fit. I go to the gym six days a week. I've always been a fitness uh, fanatic. Part of the reason why I quit, why I hated my job so much was that the sometimes I would start at eight in the morning. Some of my shifts I would end at 10 p.m. And for someone who wants to keep go to the gym at the same time every day, you can't. If I wanted to go to the gym at five in the morning, I can't because once in a while I'll come home and it'll be 11. Yeah. Right. I'm not going to get a proper sleep that way. No, I so that's what that. I'm up to. I don't really have a life otherwise. My life is real estate. I even if I didn't have any clients, I'd still be looking at the MLS. I'd be going to see properties. Just it just intrigues me. So where do you see your you taking your business in the next few years? Like if you could look two years from now and say, okay, this is where this would be ideal for me to be as an investor, as a realtor, as a person. So eventually, I would like to create even more passive income for myself and my family. I want to get to a point where we don't have to worry about anything ever financially. Mm-hmm. I would probably be pursuing more bigger multifamily. There's a couple of you know, bevels full of sixplexes. I would like to pick up a few of them. And I would love to help other people do the same as well, potentially partner up. I've always avoided JVing with other people. I've had people reach out to me all the time asking to JV with me. And honestly, it's just been something that I I have a high standard for myself. And I have a hard time being responsible for someone else's money unless I'm 100% confident in my own abilities. And not that I'm I'm saying I'm not good at it. It's different when you're responsible for someone else's money. I'm okay with risking my own money. Yeah. But when it's someone else's, I ha- I have to be pretty damn sure about it before I do. And I have to say, I'm finally getting to the part where, you know what? I am comfortable with that, especially after this current project. <laughs> Yeah, when that's done, it's like, okay, I'm ready. Yeah, I get like duplex conversion. That's a joke. (laughs) Yeah, do that in my sleep. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that is awesome. And um, for people that want to get a hold of you, because, you know, as you mentioned that you're out there helping people, not only as a realtor, but just in general, you know, I know that you've shared a lot of knowledge and wisdom and your experiences and calls that we've been on together and some of the Facebook communities that we're both a part of. So how can people get a hold of you? You can reach me on social media. I'm the most active on Instagram. It would be Cashflow George, no spaces, no nothing. And Facebook, uh, same as well, Cashflow George. And if you want to email me, it's george at georgewang.ca. Okay, awesome. George, I'll put those uh, in the description and the notes for this episode. And again, I want to thank you very much for being on the show. It's been amazing kind of hearing your story, you know, earlier this year and seeing you continue to grow and develop. I know you're also holding some networking events in Belleville on occasion. So again, people should reach out to you to get a hold and find out when the next ones are coming up. Belleville seems to be a really good market to invest in as well. So George, other than being Cashflow George, is Belleville George when it comes to investing in property. So make sure you reach out to him. And again, for all our listeners, for Logger and Listings, thank you very much. We appreciate you. Uh, Hopefully you like, share, comment. So we can continue to grow this podcast and I will have a special announcement coming up in the next one or two episodes. So stay tuned for that. Again, thank you very much, George. And uh, to everybody else, cheers. Thank you for having me. If you've enjoyed listening to the Logger and Listings podcast, leave a like or a comment. Not only will we appreciate it, but it will also help this podcast grow organically and help other investors and entrepreneurs grow their businesses and have fun along the way.